Hi, and welcome back to the European VC, your podcast for insights into the European VC industry. If you love our show, do drop us a review, share it with your friends, and join our Slack community at theeuropeanvc.com forward slash community. And don't forget, if you are about to raise a fund or an international round, do let us know, and we'll be happy to introduce you to relevant investors. Today, we're joined by Mike, Head of Acceleration at VC Lab, the 16-week VC accelerator spun out of Founders Institute with a vision to help launch no less than a thousand enduring VC firms by 2025. We're excited to bring you this interview as Mike and his partner in crime, Adeo, have made quite a splash worldwide with their program, helping more than a hundred firms be launched across five cohorts and make important VC conceptual innovations like the Proof of Concept Fund, Fund in a Box, and LP Love be disseminated in the ecosystem. Go register your application for the 7th VC Lab cohort on vcl.to forward slash VC. Want to be on top of who the best up and coming emerging VCs in Europe are and maybe even invest with them? Register for our newsletter at theemergingvc.substack.com and be the first to get in the know. Mike, welcome to the show. It's so great having you here. Thank you so much for having me. Big fan of what you guys are up to, and I'm honored to be on your podcast. Uh, we are the ones that are honored to have you with us. I think almost any emerging manager knows about VC Lab now. It's an entity that we're often being asked about. So that's why we're bringing you on here. We're really looking forward to talking about it. So welcome to the show, Mike. All right. Thank you. Excited to be here. Mike, let's start with the story of how you broke into VC, because I think that's probably the best place to start. Let's do it. So roughly about two years ago, I was managing portfolio at Founder Institute. So for the audience who doesn't know who Founder Institute is, it's the largest pre-seed accelerator in the world. At the time I was there, I was managing a portfolio of over 5,000 companies. FI was launching almost by the thousands at that point a year. And so the number one thing that my team and I did was just try to help startups raise capital. And we did this all over the world, right? FI operates in 200 cities worldwide, and it's probably more now. What I started to see is just how difficult it was for founders to raise capital, in particular if they were not in a very defined startup ecosystem like Silicon Valley, New York, you know, London, you call it, right? It's just really hard. Also, even if you are in some of those places, if you're like an underrepresented founder, extremely difficult to raise money, you know, businesses that maybe don't look specifically like VC businesses initially, you know, had some hard time with that as well, right? And so at the same time, myself and Adair Resi, who's the founder of the Founder Institute, at that point, we had launched and raised 14 funds internally. So we had a really good process of like raising money from LPs and, you know, managing funds and so on. And we said to ourselves, like, let's try to maybe launch a program like an accelerator, but for venture capitalists, right? Because we had the experience of like running all these funds and we had the experience of obviously running accelerator in a very efficient way. And, you know, we launched the first cohort and that cohort turned out to be pretty successful. That the first cohort, I think we got 12 firms to a first closing in roughly about seven months. And for the audience that doesn't know, typically new managers take 12 to 24 months to do a first closing. Like, wow, this is pretty interesting. It worked, right? So 
we did it again, had a massive uptick in applications. And again, this wasn't something we even marketed, right? It's like hidden on the Founder Institute website. It was just like all word of mouth. And out of that one, we ended up launching 30 firms. In other words, getting them to a first close. So I think to 2020, we were at almost you know 42 firms, raised over 100 million, hundreds of investments and so on. And it worked really, really well. And then we did it again. And the volume of applications in cohort three was absolutely insane. I think we were like 1,700 applications or something. And this thing is totally hidden. Like it's not, we didn't even have a website, guys. Just, you know, like, I don't know, three or four months ago, right? And the quality of the people that were applying was as good as the people that were closing in the previous cohort. So that's when we made a decision to basically spin out VC Lab into its own company, its own entity, because, you know, new managers require different types of help, different types of advice and things like that than a founder would. So it's just a very different business than Founder Institute. And so we just kept growing it. And now, you know, we're about to launch cohort seven, we're in cohort six, we have helped launch over 100 new venture capital firms worldwide. We're about to graduate cohort five, which is probably going to be somewhere around 50 more this year. And so that's how we got to where we got to, you know, happy to talk about that more or whatever. But suffice to say, I've worked with lots of new managers, helping them get to first close. And at this point, you know, we're seeing people coming in on fund two and fund three, people leaving super famous venture capital firms to come to the program to help. And this is happening all over the world, which is what I think is beautiful. That's why I'm glad we're talking, right? Because at this point, I don't know, 25% are from Europe. So it's really cool to see the innovation everywhere. I just want to double click on what you're saying, Mike, because I think it's really cool what you guys are doing. Your core message is launch a VC firm in a couple of months, almost. I feel like saying it's not exactly how you say it, but it is very aggressive in the sense the average time that takes to raise a fund. And I, you know, if I share my own first involvement in the VC fund, it took 25 months for first close. So it's really incredible what you guys are doing and really cool. But before we deep dive into the program itself and VC Lab, I can't help but ask you, you know, you are based in the US in the epicenter of venture <laughs> and we are all about Europe. So I have to ask, you know, when you look around, what excites you in the venture industry, generally speaking, and particularly about Europe, what would you say is like particularly exciting about this little corner of the world? Well, it's not a little corner anymore. And that's what's the most exciting thing. I mean, I think what's happening is that innovation is happening everywhere. I think culturally, you're seeing some pretty big shifts. And as you know, I was seeing that even when I was at FI, where of the types of people that are starting companies. So you're seeing just companies, bigger acceptance as being an entrepreneur as a career path, and as a result, bigger acceptance as a VC. But also just like the type of funds that are coming out of Europe are super interesting. So a lot of ESG, a lot of impact, an enormous amount of the funds that graduate that, are, that have ESG and impact as a core goal comes from that. And, you know, there's this really beautiful alignment around the GP who has this mission to basically like, I don't know, decarbonize the world or whatever it may be. The LPs also having this mission and wanting to go fund those types of folks and also having the resources and also the founders, right? Like wanting to do things like this in Europe, which is just really, really incredible. You know, seeing that I'm seeing an incredible amount of like fintech related innovation as well coming from Europe. That's also really, really fascinating as well. And there's also some pretty interesting things with regards to diversity and things like that that are, is, is exciting. But overall, like, I mean, the data is also starting to show a little bit that the returns, right, that we're seeing from European VCs is every bit on par, if not greater, than many places in the world, right? Because entrepreneurs have to be scrappier, valuations a little bit lower, all these things kind of play a role. As long as you can get through some of the regulatory hurdles, both on the founder and the GP side, obviously, you're in a really good place to do well, right? So it's a very exciting place for us. 
we often talk about in this show, we're super European centric, as you know, but yeah. we talk about different generations of VCs, right? Yeah. The old school European kind of more private equity originated um, type of VC that we have here a lot still. The second generation, I feel like saying more specialized, not from that private equity background, you know, more, I dare say, almost like coming from the first tech success stories. But now I I see like a next gen of VC coming in, a completely different, very scrappy, very different. And I'd love to hear your thoughts as well. Do you also see this next gen of VC profiles coming in through your programs? And what are your thoughts around the impact and position they have in the industry? Maybe it's the type of folks that really are attracted to VC Lab. So maybe the, um, my vision of yeah. this is discolored somewhat by it. But they're all very mission-driven. They're attacking this almost like entrepreneurs, right? Like you said, very scrappy, bootstrap, right? Like And adding value to founders that an entrepreneur need versus like the more financier, banker type, which was the more common, let's call it, type of VC before. And so as a result, they're making these bets that could potentially get bigger and they're a little bit more less risk averse because of that. That's also really fascinating to see. And they're very, very focused. Like the thesis is they're very focused. Now you could argue that, well, that's because the accelerator does that because, you know, that's also a big part of our our core value add too. But like, you know, when you have a very focused thesis, what happens, right? Well, it's like that perfect triangle that I discussed earlier, right? It's like you got like the perfect GP meets the perfect thesis meets the perfect LP and a magic happens. You're converting one in five or one in three LPs into your fund. You're getting the best founders that are specifically focused on this very core thesis. And you basically get into deals that you probably couldn't get into before and things like that. And you're beating all the other guys into it or the other ladies into it, right? And it's just really cool to see. So that's kind of like the next gen GP that we're seeing in Europe right now. And a lot of these folks are breaking off on their own and just starting new firms, which is exciting. There's this trend that we like to talk about because there's very differing opinions. We actually recently just launched our first LP roundtable episode. So we have different LPs and we ask like different questions and their perception and whatnot. And one of our favorite topics is like solo GPs. In that roundtable, we had the EIF, the most institutional investor possible, right, in Europe. We had Eisenhower Capital, also institutional money, but private and a bit more um, entrepreneurial in mindset. But we also had multiple capital specialized in emerging. So there's a completely different worldviews there, which is super interesting. What is yours and what is VC Labs? VC Lab just empowers the market from the bottoms up. You know, 66% of alumni at this point are solo GPs, right? And that's okay. Look, let's call it the perfect. There's two perfect styles of teams, right? There's the team that has known each other for an incredibly long period of time. You've worked together for five, 10 years and under very stressful situations. And you said to yourself, wow, we're such a good team. We want to go ahead and start a firm, which means we're going to be doing this for like the next 15 to 20 years of our lives, working on this together. And let's go ahead and make this happen, which is part of the reason why we ask people to ask their co-GPs to all apply into the program because the program stresses the team together. And oftentimes, a lot of those GPs come down to maybe move down to venture partner or maybe take a different role in the fund because they're like, I don't know if I want to do this long term, right? Or sometimes they just withdraw because they're like, I don't know if I want to do this for a long time, right? And so like, if you know each other really well and you can build a strong team with that, that's great. Otherwise, solo is a better way to go because you can control that and then you can use fund one to test out potential partners that may come in at a venture partner level, for example. And then when you launch Fund 2, maybe they go in and come in as a GP and then you kind of build out the firm that way, right? There's no like perfect model, so to speak, but the key is you really want to make sure you know people well because it's unlike an entrepreneur where, yeah, the co-founder relationship sucks, but there's at least very good ways to kind of 
make sure that that person withdraws from the startup. It's much more difficult to do that in a firm when the GPs are owners of that actual firm and all those entities and things like that. Mike, I think we should go to, um, it's almost an infomercial this episode in the sense that now we're on our way into a, a really deep dive on what is VC Lab and why are you doing it as you are and what exactly are you doing and all these things. I think that it fits perfectly because we have so many in our audience who are emerging managers. So it, it serves everyone perfectly that we dive deep. And full disclosure here, Dave and I have participated, I think, for 10 weeks or so, eight weeks or so in one of the cohorts and enjoyed it a lot. So we can also bring in our own uh, experience experience there. It was cool to see from the inside. We might bring up some internal <laughs> experiences as well. That's going to be fun. But first of all, Mike, let's start at the core. You have a mission to launch and grow a thousand enduring venture firms worldwide by 2025. And the most simple question would be, why? Why does the world need a thousand new enduring venture capital firms? And why is that the mission you guys are on? The world is pretty broken, right? There's a lot of issues in the world right now that need to be solved. And the vast majority of the biggest problems that humanity is facing are going to be solved primarily by venture-backed companies, right? There would be no Moderna, right, without venture capital and no Tesla without venture capital. We feel that entre those types of businesses have the potential to make a massive impact in the world, and it needs to be all over the world, right? It, it can't just be like in Silicon Valley or in the United States or whatever, pick your favorite startup ecosystem, right? There's a lot of places that need help. And if you can impact that by basically helping launch a whole new breed of ethical, amazing, you know, next-gen, you know, venture capitalists that can basically kind of power a lot of this innovation and they're doing this for mission-driven reasons, then we believe that that impact on the world is going to be very, very large. And we're going to start to see a lot of these things that we're, we've been talking about for ages that need to be solved, get solved, right, by venture-backed startups, right? But you need risk capital to allow these super ambitious entrepreneurs to do that. And that needs to be everywhere, right? And that's why we believe that we want to go out and launch as many new VCs as we can all over the world so that we can power the future of innovation, so to speak. I absolutely agree. I love your ethos and mission at VC Lab. I couldn't agree more that the world is in problems. <laughs> we have a lot of trouble that needs to be solved by innovation. And the people who have been sitting on the money pile for too many years haven't exactly been the right breed. So I absolutely love the empowerment of the special breed of managers that uh, you guys, as well as we, are, are helping. So I love that. But Mike, let's dive more into the... Uh, practical side of what is VC Lab? Is it eight weeks? Is it 12 weeks? Is it all about pitch training or is it all about portfolio simulation and so on? Let us know. So the VC Lab Accelerator is a 16-week program and it's a combination of weekly deliverables. We call them sprints. Taking a step back, this isn't like a learning program. This isn't about learning about VC. This is about doing. So it's like talk to this number of limited partners improve your deck this way. It's very like direct style of things that you need to do. And it's like a weekly sprint. In addition to that, we do office hours. We do regular sessions twice a week. And then we have this incredibly vibrant community in Slack. At this point, it's you know 500 plus GPs. Our Slack instance is averaging over 600 plus messages a day at this point, where the community is just like helping each other out for various things, whether it's 
specific to the fund or specific to other things in regards to running a business. And there's a singular goal to the program is to get to a first closing. If you're not on track to get to a first closing, that's okay. It just means that a lot of the future deliverables will not be applicable to you moving forward. So we'll ask you to withdraw and then have you reapply into a future program. And that happens all the time. And we get some really incredible people coming in on their second try and then closing the fund, right? But just to give you an example, right? If your thesis is not absolutely awesome, it doesn't make sense for you to build a deck because all a deck is essentially an extension of the thesis. And then you're going to have to redo the thesis and then redo the deck later. So it's kind of a waste of time. So we spent a good amount of time in the first four weeks making sure that the thesis is really, really good. Then you're going to start using that thesis. You're going to pitch limited partners, talk to people about their your thesis. And based on how limited partners react to that thesis, you can make improvements to that. Then when it's in a good baseline, then it's time to go out and build a deck, pitch more limited partners, right? And then start gathering and getting commitments and closing a fund. Right? And so the reason this works is because we're essentially packaging all the information that you need to basically launch a fund. And you know we do so in a sequential way so that you can do things in order so that you can maximize the return on investment per unit of time spent fundraising. So let's use the thesis example as what I think is probably the main thing that anyone considering joining an accelerator program for a GP would be, which is... I'm super senior. I've done this for years. And here you are telling me to spend four weeks on my thesis. Come on, who the hell are you? <laughs> right? That is how many people think about themselves. Uh, and then you show up to your program and then you realize that Deo is probably the most provocative guy you'll ever meet. And Mike seems like a nice guy, but but he's not telling Adeo to shut up and be nice to people. So how do you think about structuring a program for emerging managers all the way from having people in the beginning who do need a lot of work with their thesis and then others who have nailed it, their thesis? I'm super curious to hear. Well, look, you, the thesis is working really well when one in three limited partners tell you, I'm in based on that one sentence that you've done. If you haven't gotten it to that point, then the return on investment per unit of time spent fundraising moving forward is going to just be bad. You know, you're going to get one in 50 yeses or one in 55 yeses, whatever the number is, right? And so it's really important to do that. But the thesis, the way you think about your portfolio, the way you think about everything else, it's all related. It's not like it's just four weeks of you just spending the time on thesis. There's actually one week dedicated to that but you're iterating it and improving it by pitching limited partners and just making sure you get it really good. And if your thesis is awesome from the beginning, that's okay too. Then, you know, you can just say done, right? That you've actually done this well. And, you know, we'll be able to see if that's the case when we do the review and then we'll go from there. We don't really get pushback from experienced people. As a matter of fact, experienced people, they love this stuff more than most. And they're throwing themselves at it because a lot of experienced people haven't gotten this level of coaching, right? And so we get a lot of good feedback from like fun three people, even like fun two people about that. I think where frustration comes for people is mostly like when you're just trying to figure it out, right? And then you're getting feedback from all over the place and you're trying to figure out which is the feedback that you should take right? And how to improve that. But overall, it always comes out on the wash and eventually everyone will have a pretty decent thesis by the time they get to the first review and then they'll go out and build out the deck. But you're pitching LPs basically starting in week two or three of the program, right? So it's not like you're just doing that. And by the way, we improve the curriculum every single time. So we rewrite it 
every week before the sessions. Uh, so, you know, now we're on cohort seven. So just the results, the program is just getting better and better with every time we do it. David and I did a funny thing when we uh, were in the program. We checked it forward. So we knew what was coming. And then we could also yeah. see the iterations that you did. And they were quite significant. So it wasn't, you know, <laughs> realizing that you had done a uh, typo in, in one question and then you <laughs> then you corrected that for the next one. It was actually substantial changes. So I see that those iterations are substantial. And I can also see that it is actually a program that brings managers very quickly forward. I am very much of the belief that many will get a lot out of PC Lab from joining. I'm curious to hear you've said a couple of times, one in three LPs. So for sure, and I'm, I'm sure that you also know, so one in three LPs should say, yes, I'm in. And I'm sure that what you mean is I'll actually end up investing because that would be a good conversion rate. I'm guessing it's more, okay, that thesis is super interesting. I want to hear more. Is it on that level or is it actual conversion? Well, actually, no, we're getting people to sign commitment letters and letters of intent based on just the thesis alone without a deck. If you think about like the best pitches in the world, often they're not even using a deck. They're just like, we're talking right here. And then they're like, oh, I'm in, I want into that. So we're seeing that. But let me just take a step back. So closing is a series of yeses. It's not just a yes, right? So the first yes is maybe getting them to sign a letter of intent. The next yes is maybe looking at the LPA. The next yes is maybe looking at your data room. The yes is, you know, so it's just like a series of yeses, right? So yeah. what we're trying to do is just get people... Get to the next stage. Yeah, get into the get to the next stage. And if you can't even get to the first stage, it's just really, you need to kind of refactor some things so that yeah. you can get to the first stage a little bit more efficient. Right? And that's kind of how we think about it. So everything we think about is in terms of return on investment per unit of time spent. How can we basically maximize the time you're spending while building a fund, essentially, or building a firm, I should say? That's a really good point. And I think that what you uh, disclose here is also that what you get from VC Lab is a very well-developed mindset and framework to think about your fundraise. And I'm also correct in then saying, you see, I, I narrow it in and say, think about your fundraise. And that's at least how I view VC Lab, which is it's more an accelerator of my fundraise than it's of building the fund, meaning that you can't go into VC Lab and not know a lot about portfolio modeling or at least have people in your network who can help you with portfolio mapping or portfolio simulation and so on. So it's not, as you said in the beginning, it's not an education. It's an accelerator where we will give you a route where you will move very quickly and in a structured way and we'll give you some frameworks to think about things. But you should also be quite well-versed in VC already. <laughs> Do you agree, Mike? Yeah, that's actually not correct. So you learn by doing is our philosophy of things, right? And so modeling, you learn by doing. We provide you with templates so you can build a really good model. We bring in modeling experts. We offer office hours around that, all that. It's because you just brought that up. That's the only reason I brought it up. But And all these things have to come together kind of at the same time for you to perform a successful closing. So taking a step back, we're not in the business of launching funds, right? There's other programs that are better for us. We launch enduring venture capital firms. The way we are thinking about this closing and the way you're setting up your firm is how do we get you to fund three as quickly as possible? And the decisions you're making now, how to think about building out your team, how to think about your deals, how to think about your deal warehouse, all of that stuff kind of plays together, right? And people are looking for investments 
They're warehousing deals into their fund during the program. They're, you know, thinking through their portfolio construction and building that and iterating on that and so on. So that by the time they get to like, you know, where they're closing, they're going to have all they, they need to be able to close, right? All the, the data room, everything that an LP would possibly ask. And this is why we're getting these first closes to happen very, very fast. And then subsequently, second close is happening fast as well, because again, most people have made really good investments that are going to get marked up and all this other stuff. So we can talk about that. But that's the concept here, right? Like the goal is to build enduring venture capital firms, right? That's the whole point of the program. I think that's really interesting, Mike. It's actually the first time I hear you put it that way, but I find it really interesting. And I recall that something that I really enjoyed when we, Andres and I were in one of your cohorts was this perspective of defining fund size, right? So of being very pragmatic about it, it's all about how much money can you mobilize in the short term, put a small multiple on that, and that's your fund size and go and make it happen as quickly as possible because that's your proof of concept fund and then fund two will come after and so forth. Can you put some more to it? Because I think it's interesting to share with our audience. It's like an MVP, but for a fund, so it's like an MVF or whatever, right? Like the <laughs> first fund, right, is basically a way to show that you can run a firm and you can go out and, and make investments. And then the whole point of fund one is to get you to fund two if your goal is to build an enduring venture capital firm and you want to deploy that as quickly as possible, right? And so that's how you want to kind of like think about it because as a new manager, you've got like a scarlet letter on on you, right? It's like most LPs do not want to back new managers, even though historically new managers have overperformed, all the data shows that and so on because new managers have never run a business of investing professionally before, right? And so there's a lot of risk that comes with that. So LPs are like, you know, I just don't want to really deal with that, right? So you've essentially said to yourself, like as a new manager, you're not going to get institutional money for the most part. I mean, yeah, there might be some people might get lucky, but for the most part, you're not. Most corporates will not usually do new managers. Yes, is there some that have? Out of the hundreds that we've had, I think maybe less than a handful have gotten corporates, right, in their fund so far. And then large family offices are very unlikely to come into a a new manager for all of these reasons, right? And so you want to get rid of that stigma as quickly as possible, right? And so, you know, smaller fund size, primarily high net worth individuals that want to take a risk on you and so on and just get to fund two as quickly as possible and go into fund two with track record. And now all of a sudden you can show kind of how the portfolio is performing for the institutionals that are in no doubt going to ask that, right? And so on. And so this is part of the problem. And this is why this industry has a big issue right now because everybody calls everybody an emerging manager, right? It's like this big, broad term, emerging managers. But I've seen emerging managers on fund three. Heck, I even seen them on fund four. That's very different than new managers. So they're like, you know, all these LPs are like, oh no, I'm definitely going to do emerging managers. I definitely do emerging managers. But in reality, what they're thinking, talking about is like, you know, people on like fund three and fund four, right? Not like fund one. I think uh, 70% or so of uh, Europe falls within uh, <laughs> fund one, two, three. <laughs> so exactly. in that sense, em- doing emerging in Europe is easy. Uh, <laughs> so I absolutely think that this is one of the core messages that you guys have brought to Europe which is super important, which is the concept. We've always termed it proof of concept fund that people just need to get out there, do their first fund and prove that they can actually (laughs) do that and then get out of the grind of trying to raise for 24 months. Because I remember the emerging managers that I've been helping over my time. They've always been two or three teams, very senior, looked at what they used to make and then they said, okay, fund size, 
anything below really squeezing it here, 30 million euros. Otherwise, we won't do it. It's not worth it. And what I've come to say to managers when I meet them and they say that, I say, it's kind of like calling up the BBC saying, I'd like you to pay my train ticket in for the X Factor program because I think I want to audition. <laughs> Well, it's just not yeah. going to happen, right? You need to show that you want to do this. You can get there just as fast, honestly, by doing a family of funds, right? Like maybe the first fund is going to be 10 million euro or 15 million euro. The second fund now is 20. And then the third fund is 30 to 50, right? And you've done that in like a three and a half, four year period. And, uh, you know, to raise the 30 million euro fund or more, that could take up to three years, right? And so it's sometimes longer and you might not even raise it. And if you don't raise it, unless your portfolio does incredibly well, right? Unless you're Chris Soccer, right? Like the famous story of Chris Soccer, right? Trying to get a 10 million fund, got eight and a half. But yeah, he got 300X on that. So of course you got the fund too. Most managers that can't subscribe their fund, right? Really struggle in fund two and fund three, right? So build a target that you can get to and then oversubscribe. Hey, if you have more demand, right? Like raise, raise whatever you can and fine. It's up to you, right? But keep the fund sizes small. And you're right. In, in the first four weeks of the program, back to kind of what you were talking about, this is a huge part of what we spend a lot of time on, in particular with European GPs for some reason, where, you know, they're like, well, I'm talking to IMF or whatever, like, you know, da 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 da, da. I think I can do it, blah, blah, blah. It's like, uh, you know, it's probably not going to happen. So whenever we see 100 million euro funds and things like that, we're like, bring it down, bring it down, bring it down. You know? <laughs> now, but it's actually funny what you say, because that's the issue that I think that we have in Europe, which is that so much of the capital comes from the EIF or national equivalents. And yeah. they have their views on fund size. And that forces managers to go to 30, 50 million euros also as their first fund, because otherwise they can't get that money. And the national ecosystem looks to that big player to be the ones who jump first. Then you're just in that catch-22. So I think that there's a lot of LP education to be done as well in Europe. Yeah, and we're working on that. But I would say also, I super respect that point of view. And I actually think that our strategy works together with that strategy just as fine, right? It's just that it's going to be fun two or fun three. And then if fun two could be a year and a half, right? When you deployed 70% of it, a year and a half, your probability of getting that type of capital after you've deployed some of it and you've got some markups and it's looking really good is so much higher, yeah. right? And so if you can just get the first part with high net worth individuals and there's more and more high net worth individuals in Europe. That's another thing I'm seeing right now. We're seeing a lot more successful founders. We're seeing a lot more successful founders with liquidity that are really, really good LPs that get the stuff. There's Venture has overperformed compared to any other asset class over the last three years. So people are like starting to move more money into venture because again, you're essentially financing the future, which is a pretty good bet, right? And so, you know, I, you're just seeing a bigger activity of that. But yeah, we're working on that too, right? We're working a lot on LP education and things like that too. We've been dropping, you know, Andres and I, our perspective of the program, you know, we, as we said, we've participated. We didn't go all the way through. So we might be leaving some cool highlights outside of it. How would you describe it for someone who has no idea what VC Lab is? What are the highlights? What are the, you know, the core things they, they should expect from the program? The program is a rigorous program that's, uh, you know, very structured, designed to basically get people to a closing, it could be the first closing, second closing, final closing, whatever, in the most efficient way possible. And we basically flank you with a bunch of mentors. We flank you with an amazing community that can help get you there. We help lead the charge on a lot of different things. Uh, like, for example, we launched this Cornerstone LPA, which brings down the typical LPA, which is like 150 pages to 
30 pages that anybody could read with all the terms in the front pages as well, you know, increasing the velocity because now LPs no longer need lawyers and things like that. So, you know, and then now we're like putting that in various different, for various different domiciles. We launched Canada, we're working on Netherlands right now. So things like that, so that you can have that. And then on top of that, you know, we're ramping up and have been all of our like alumni stuff. So we're doing like a lot of events, bringing together the successful people. Cause now, you know, the cohort one, cohort two folks are like, you know, kind of like the OGs that can actually help new managers, but they're also much more relatable because they're not that far ahead. Like whenever we bring in a mentor that's like on fund six, it's like, okay, great. But like, you know, if you're like on fund two or whatever, because you close the first one, that's much more relatable. So they're, they're also uh, helping as well. So the community basically of GPs is growing very quickly and is becoming more and more active and everything that we're building, everything that we're thinking about building is essentially for that to be able to kind of power and make that process much more efficient to get to fund three, essentially. You know, you're talking about community as well, and that's an interesting topic, but I think, you know, I'm guilty of this as well, you know, because I actually didn't know the demographics of your participants. I wasn't sure, like, how much did Europe represent? How much did US represent? You guys are a US-based project, so, you know, you kind of think, yeah, it's mostly US. That's actually not true. So give us the correct numbers. Yeah, so over 60% are outside of North America. North America includes like Canada and stuff like that. Yeah. 25% are in Europe. Seeing a huge uptick right now in Africa. I think this cohort is almost, I want to say, 15% in Africa, which is really, really cool to see. Over 30% are female, and that's growing every single time. We're seeing a huge uptick in funds that have at least one female GP, which is something we're really happy about to see and stuff like that. So those are just some of the, like, the statistics there. But basically, like we were global from the beginning because Founder Institute was global from the beginning, right? And so that's how we were approaching VC as well. And so we just want to make it easier now everywhere to try to launch a fund. But these principles that we're talking about here apply to pretty much everybody. It cuts across cultures, across everything, you know? Yeah, there may be some challenges with some things around formation and things like that in certain places, like Singapore is notoriously, like, you know, slower than other places. But overall, the principles apply the same, and there's flexibility within the program, flexibility in the curriculum. And now that we've helped so many funds raise capital everywhere, we have, like, this institutional bank where we can, like, be like, oh, you're doing a fun here. This is some things you should watch out for, and this is how you can make it more efficient. I'll bring in a uh, question of critique that I'm sure that some people would hear from others who have been part of the program and from people who also know of you and Adeo. There is a VC lab model, and that also means that, as an example, you know, you can be quite Adeo more than you are quite clear on this is how a pitch deck should be. And if you're not building it like that, you're an idiot. That is a critique that I have definitely both felt at the same time as I hugely enjoyed it because <laughs> I think it's funny, but it's also a critique that, of course, it's something that people react to and think, I've seen the deck of A16T, it doesn't look like that. So who are Mike and Adeo to tell me that this is how a deck should be? I'd love to hear you comment on some of that. Yeah, no, for sure. We're obviously very opinionated and forceful in our delivery. And the reason we do that is because that cuts through a lot of BS and it cuts through all of these cultural norms and things like that. And that's the reason it's very efficient, right? That being said, the way our program works is very, very bottoms up, right? That's why there's a two-step admission process, right? Like if you look at most accelerators, right? They're like, they just pick people like you, 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 and you, right? You or you're in, right? Our process is the exact opposite, right? We pick a subset of the, you know, at this point, 
thousands of applicants. Last cohort, over 1,900 people applied, right? Just to give you kind of a sense of scale. And we're picking, you know, like the top 200 or 250 GPs. And then we let the system help people self-select out whether they like the program, whether, you know, they can reach the milestones and there's clear defined milestones to get to. And then if you can get to them, great. If you don't get to them, when there's a review that we do, then we basically give an epic sprint, which essentially has you test the stuff out with the market. And if the market says it's great, then that's fine by us, right? And so we let the kind of market decide a lot of these different things that we discussed, right? And there's a lot of flexibility for that. There's a lot of flexibility within the program. We're definitely, and we say this in the first session, we're not the judge, jury, and executioner, right? That's not the way we look at this. We want the market essentially to kind of help like decide that process moving forward for folks. And that's why it works also, right? Because you have this pressure, because you know some of these decks do have all of the principles. Then you go out and test it with the market. And you're like, well, you got to fix this, right? Uh, again, in office hours, the first thing I usually tell people is like, market feedback trumps Mike's feedback all day long, right? I tell people that, right? But I have seen at this point thousands of decks, right? And now we have data and we know who's closing and we know what's happening. And, you know, you can listen to our advice, but you can always take and do what you want with this. At the end of the day, the only thing that matters to us is that you get to a closing, right? That's it. Another thing, which I think this is something that we need to touch on because it's something that David and I are being asked about all the time as well for us, which is what's your business model? How does this work? Because you're doing this for free. David and I are doing shit for people as well for free. So obviously there's a business model. For us, it's we're investing. <laughs> we're charging our LPs, 5% setup, 5% carry. That's the business model. And that's why it makes sense to work with the GPs that we believe can be great because then we'll make out money on investing into them. What's the business model per VC lab? Yeah, that's a good question. So when we spun this out of founders, so we didn't spin it out with the business model, just to be quite honest. And the program is free, will always be free. There's only one thing that we require of people is that they share the Mansarius oath publicly. So if you want to just look this up, Mansarius oath, it says that you're basically going to be a very ethical person and GP and so on. That's it. Now, look, you know, we went to our community and said, like, what do you need? Like, what is it that, what kind of help do you need and things like that? And, you know, we looked at that and initially we thought maybe it's financing just because a lot of people were were raising capital and stuff. And it turns out that that was never like the biggest need because a lot of the folks that our program in particular folks are closing are like literally like the titans of industry, I should say, especially at this point right now, it's like literally people are leaving the top VC firms that we've seen in the world joining the program to go out and start stuff. So getting to that first close, often they're, they're getting to that certainly with their own network. So, but the biggest issue we've seen is just like launching and forming a firm is very, very complex because there's a lot of variable pricing and legal. There's a very low pricing and admin, variable pricing and accounting, All these regulations are different everywhere, right? So we're like working to try to streamline that. And we're working to basically see if we can help folks launch more firms more efficiently with that. And so that's what we're testing right now primarily is the business model. And of course, there's always going to be an opportunity for a business like this to finance the top GPs because at this point, you know, we see 90% of the GPs in the world, right? It's like, you know, so we're looking at building out some infrastructure there as well. But the way we're thinking about this whole thing is how can we make tools that make the process easier, right? So for example, we launched a CRM called Home. It's absolutely free for the whole community because every GP is like cobbling together seven different tools to make the stack, right? And that takes a whole lot of time. And they're like, most are not programmers or Zapier programmers, I should say, or whatever, to kind of make the integrations work, right? And that has streamlined fundraising, 
streamline deal memos, streamline all these different things that you would need to run a firm, right? And so that way you don't have to think about that, right? So it's like everything we're doing, every tool, every product that we're launching, we'll do that. But again, these are products that people can apply for. At some point, there's absolutely no expectation that anybody in the program will need to use it or anything like that. That's not the purpose. The program will always be free. I think that was very good for us to get here <laughs> because VCs being what VCs are, and they think about incentives very, very quickly. <laughs> right. So, exactly. so yeah. super cool. Mike, some people shy away from talking about competitors, and I don't know how you are at both bad mouthing, but also saying good things about them. But I think that it's worth juxtaposing VC Lab to the other alternatives out there. The way we see things is that <laughs> by all means, what we do fits very well with VC Lab. So we would love people to do whatever they want to do with VC Lab and then also do whatever they want to do with us. And then if they want to do Cool Waters program because they want to do uh, Fund 3 that's going to be super institutional all that, feel free, go ahead and talk to Wintermeet. Uh, we think that he's a great guy and he does great stuff on that front. How do you think about it? Where do you fit in the ecosystem? It's the same. Look, at the end of the day, if you're mission aligned with us, then we were mission aligned with you. It's kind of obviously, this is why we're doing this podcast because we're very mission aligned in a lot of different things, right? That's our approach to this. And, and we've had alumni work through other programs too, and that's fine. And again, you know, we're learning about them too. And, and, and that helps us kind of recommend them to other folks as well. And so... You know, I'm not really too worried about it I mean, as far as like, and like whether it's like competition or anything like that. I, we're so busy right now just dealing with the influx. I mean, just to give you an example, we're getting so many applications now that we're trying to stagger the cohorts because, you know, we don't want to like turn away people, to be honest. Like we're trying to empower as many people as possible, but there's a technical limit to what you can do in a cohort and people get a good experience, right? And we found that to be roughly about couple hundred or so. And then as you guys know, through the reviews and things like that, maybe half will end up like finishing the program, right? Because we have so much demand, we're like actually staggering them together, right? And so like one will end and we'll start another one right in the middle of that and things like that. And so that way we can allow more people. So as far as like kind of like scale and what we're operating at, you know, it's just we're so busy. I don't really worry about like anybody else kind of in the market, but I do definitely want to work with folks to see if we can kind of empower these GPs and get them out there faster because I think the world needs them, right? And so if you're listening to this podcast and you're interested in kind of partnering with us, feel free to reach out. Happy to, to figure out a way to try to make that happen. I'd love to go to a segment which should be key takeaways. <laughs> so what are the key takeaways from a VC lab program? As I said before, what I really love is the proof of concept fund. I think that you're really hammering home an incredibly important point there that's needed to get everyone to understand. What similar key takeaways from the program? What do you have? What the program really does well is that it helps you focus on the things that matter and not waste time on the things that don't matter. So let me give you some example of things that don't matter. Talking to lawyers before you have 10 to 20% of your fund subscribed with letters of intent from LPs. Forming your fund, we have to deal with this all the time where we have to tell people to throw away literally everything they spent all this money on because they didn't have any like, you know, actual commitments from LPs because God forbid they get an LP from a different jurisdiction. They're like, well, I don't want you to be in Delaware. I want you to be in, I don't know, pick a domicile. I want you to be in, you know, whatever, right? And so like, that's the key, right? Like we basically help you do this in a very efficient way while staggering everything together. And again, we're now on going into cohort seven, 
And so just the amount of institutional knowledge that we've been able to bring in, along with all of the alumni now that have had all of these experiences that are now mentors, right? It really has helped us actually accelerate time to first close. So, you know, core one, we were like average time to first close roughly about seven months. And now it's trending towards four and a half to five months for a lot of people, right? And so that's because of things that we're learning too. And we're adjusting it to various things that are happening in the market with regards to, you know, whether it's geopolitical issues or whatever, right? So we try to kind of help navigate through that process. Mike, let's get some stats on the table. What are the results of VC Lab so far? How many funds have reached first close? How many funds are deploying capital? Give us some numbers, whatever you can. We're over 100 at this point that have reached first close. And, you know, we're about to graduate cohort five now. And so probably by the summer, we're going to get somewhere in another 40 or so, maybe 50 all over the world, depending on how things go, right? Some might have their closings delayed till the fall, but we'll see, right? And so that's what it's looking like right now. Cohort six is in process. So that's also shooting for a June close as well. So that might bump that number up. But I think it's pretty safe to say that this year alone, we're going to double the amount of new venture capital firms created worldwide, right? This industry has created roughly about 150 new firms a year. You know, we're probably going to do at least that, if not more, this year alone. And it's going to be all over the world, as usual. Amazing. To our listeners, when's the next cohort? Yeah, so we're starting the next cohort in June. Applications are open right now. Feel free to apply. We're doing lots of webinars and things like that. So if you have questions for us, feel free to just check it out. But yeah, govclab.com. You can learn all about it there. And guys, if you don't know VC Lab and Nadeo yet, I think you should join just for the fun of it. I'm sure that he will both make you laugh and he'll also make you feel smacked in the face for something I'm sure that you hold dear to you. He then uh, takes and uh, travels all over. <laughs> so I think you'll enjoy it. There's no filter, right? And that's part of the culture of the program too, right? It's like a no BS type of thing. Like we give you very, very direct feedback. And a lot of people appreciate that because they don't have to worry about it. I was like, did he mean that? Or did she mean that? Right? So... But it is quite refreshing to be, especially in Europe, right? It is quite refreshing to have that no shit Sherlock, no filter, just putting things the way he sees it. And he doesn't have to be always right or always wrong. That's not the point, but just the transparency, the honesty, the directness of it. We enjoyed it a lot. I have to retell a story here because I remember you have a session where you go through people's decks and it's actually decks that you like. So it's people that have been selected for that. Then I remember Adeo starting to comment on one of them, first bashing that there's too much coloring on it, then bashing something with the thesis being not on point and stuff like that. And then I just remember this uh, CEO, uh, former CEO, super high up guy, I'm sure that is used to being uh, treated with the gloves on, then starting to write in the chat and <laughs> disagreeing and commenting back. And I was just sitting there laughing my ass off because Adeo wasn't stopping at all. And I think that as David just said, it's hugely refreshing. And for anyone who has been actually out there fundraising, they should know the value of getting that rough feedback that no one will give you. Because almost everyone will say, hey, look, super exciting, super exciting opportunity. I'll meet you in four months. <laughs> no, no, it's, L, it's LP love. We talk about that in the program. It's like, this, there's a term for it called LP love, guys. It's just like, I love you, man. I love you. I love you. You're like the best ever. And they never invest. Yeah. It's super annoying. Exactly. Yeah, I, think, I think you said something very well on the program as well, which was if it's not a super fucking big yes from the LP, then it's a no. 
any other variation of, of yes than a super endearing one, it's actually a no. <laughs> That's why we invented this pact, right? So if you go to govclab.com, you search legal templates, there, there's a pact, which is like a letter of intent where people have to sign. And it's been one of the bigger innovations, I would say, in fundraising because you have such a clear target. You know exactly who to spend time with because they signed this. Yeah, it's a letter of intent. Yeah, it's non-binding. But like the fact that they signed it, the fact that this thing looks legally, it puts the perspective in a whole different level, right? And so it really helped accelerate closings. It's good. Absolutely. Yeah, and, that, and that's a core thing, right? Because it's not a problem to find people who's interested in meeting you as a GP. Actually, most everyone will want to hear from you. So it's about knowing how to get through that stack of a bunch of people who actually wants to meet to those who actually want to invest. Yeah, absolutely. Mike, we always finish our episodes with a quick fire round. The quick fire round is when we ask a couple of quick answer questions, 30 to 60 seconds each. Are you ready for it? Let's do it. Beautiful. First question, in venture, generally speaking, what areas excite you the most that other people around you don't feel that excited about? Clearly, the global proliferation of the venture capital is super exciting. I don't think a lot of people are like looking at that. A lot of people aren't necessarily looking at VCs in Africa or VCs in CEE or... or you know, stuff like that, right? And so I think that's probably the most exciting for me at this point. Couldn't agree more. Second question, what are your top tips for European emerging VCs who are now fundraising? Yeah, I'd say the biggest thing is just be careful with shiny objects, right? Like we've talked about this, a lot of LPs, particularly the bigger institutional ones, are going to spend a lot of your time and it's going to take you a couple of years to close them. So try to find LPs that are like the best for your fund. And those are typically like high net worth individuals. And it's also true on number two, right? Like fund number two. So that's number one. Number two, you know, warehouse deals, right? If you can warehouse deals, try to warehouse deals. There are a few things that are a stronger correlation between fast closings that we've seen than warehouse deals. Because if you have really a couple warehouse deals that are awesome, that are growing fast, that are getting marked up, you're essentially the pitch to LPs is like, hey, go in through, come in through me, to go into this amazing fund, right? And then but for whatever reason, it feels like things aren't working and you're like not getting one in, let's say five or one in maybe 10 yeses or something like that. Go back a little bit to the drawing board, start stress testing that thesis a little bit more and see if you can improve it and then go back out until you, once you get started getting some notes. I mean, some yeses. And the fourth tip could be enjoying the VC Lab program. <laughs> it's free yeah. and, you'll go, and you'll go through all of what Mike said and more. I'll say it, you don't have to. <laughs> Third and final question, Mike, which is what can we expect in the future from you and from VC Lab? We're definitely super bullish on Europe. We think this is probably one of the biggest areas of growth and venture that's going to come up here in the next few years. So we're definitely looking to expand in Europe, expand our offerings in Europe. We think that there's a lot of opportunity to really find a domicile that makes a lot of sense for new managers. And right now that's one of the biggest gating factors for a lot of new managers trying to raise small funds. So we're working really hard on doing that. And you'll hear a lot more announcements about that here pretty soon. Mike, thanks so much for joining us. This was a lot of fun and it's been a while since we last spoke. So uh, great to see you again. Yeah, it's really great to see you guys too. Thanks for doing this and then really looking forward to kind of seeing what's next for you guys as well because it's pretty exciting. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. 
Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The European VC, your podcast for insights into the European VC industry. If you love our show, do drop us a review, share it with your friends, and join our Slack community at theeuropeanvc.com forward slash community. And don't forget, if you would like to suggest topics or guests for future episodes, join our community and help make the best pod for everything European VC. And if you are about to raise a fund or an international round, do let us know and we'll be happy to introduce you to relevant investors.